0: to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com, and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom, And the hashtag, The Virtual Shift. Today, we have a very special guest, Steve Ambrose. Steve has more than 30 years in healthcare through a unique journey. He's provocative and not timid about his views for change. He spent 20 years as a care provider who treated over 10,000 patients and concurrently learned how to market, communicate, and engage with patients. He later went on to create a multi-patented software solution involving payer and property casualty insurance claims data. He founded the Red Hot Healthcare Podcast, great show, by the way, and regularly engages top healthcare leaders and luminaries. His communication and content work and thought leadership has received numerous praises from C-suite leaders and most recently served as the Director of Content Marketing at Innovacer, a $3.2 billion health data organization. We're happy to have him with us on the show today. To share his thoughts and a number of on a number of trends, topics, and challenges in healthcare. Steve, welcome to the program.
1: Tom, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me on. And uh, uh, maybe before we jump into this, also, I wanted to offer some congratulations your way. I read that the Virtual Shift Show, which uh, it's good to be on today, uh, that it was selected as one of the top five podcasts in healthcare. Is that right? Top five healthcare
0: podcasts uh, to listen to in 2023. I appreciate you recognizing that for sure. Thank you. Yes. I literally was reading uh, the uh, digital health wire who did that recognition, reading their newsletter on a Monday morning and I'm reading through it. And I was like, whoa, that's the virtual shift. That's my show. Uh, So yes, I was very excited. So I did not know it was coming and I was very appreciative of the recognition. And at the end of the day, uh, it's not really about me. It's really about the guests that make that make the show uh, interesting to listen to, and it's about the the great uh, folks that I work with at Healthcare Now Radio. So, again, I appreciate you saying that. So, Steve, yes, there are a lot of different things going on in healthcare. You have a very unique uh, perspective. Tell us a little bit more uh, about your your background and experience.
1: Okay, let me just give you the sixty second version because I know on the other side of this, the last thing. That listeners want to listen to is five minutes of, uh, of a guest talking. Essentially, I have over 30 years in healthcare. The first 20 years of that, I was a clinic-owning care provider. I saw more than 10,000 patients. Uh, and at that time, when you owned your own clinic, at least in my practice in Richmond, Virginia, uh, it was important to acquire patients and to keep them. So, you know, you needed patients that could refer, that would stay, that would certainly pay, and that, you know, would get great results. That's when I really started looking at patients as consumers. This was back in the 1990s, Tom. So even before it became more fashionable or or more pushed into healthcare, uh, I was doing that. And then uh, about 2009, 2010, while I was still in practice, uh, I decided to start a software company because I found there was a need for a particular type of data on the business end of the payer side that wasn't there. So I developed a software product for that. I won't go into it, but uh, but I did that, and then I left clinical practice, sold my practice in 2014. I wanted to get more into the business and content end of healthcare. I just, you know, simply wanted to break away and do something a bit different in healthcare, so I did, and uh, moved out to California, where I'm at today, Los Angeles. Started Red Hot Healthcare, and that turned out to be a very successful endeavor. Uh, connected with a lot of senior leaders on uh, the podcast show and in videos. I have done a bunch of consulting. And then, uh, as you mentioned in your uh, read in, and I thank you for that, that most recently I served as director of content marketing for Innovacer, uh, which is a, uh, a $3.2 billion health tech global company uh, specializing in data interoperability. So that brings us to now. And and you are right when you say I've got strong opinions, because I will make sure that uh, uh, I'm anything other than boring when it comes to answering questions.
0: (laughs) Well, And and we appreciate that. Uh, We like to be real here. Let's get real or let's not play, as I always say. All right. So, Agreed. you know, hey, there's a lot of things uh, taking place. You know, uh, you mentioned 2010. That was right about the time when uh, high tech was passed just prior to that. Uh, EHRs be- be started to become real. Uh, some may say that's when the problem started uh, uh, or the solution started, depending on your perspective. And uh, so, you know, but we're now fast forwarding past the pandemic. And, uh, you know, it's 2023. What do you think? What do you see or think about the biggest challenges uh, in healthcare today?
1: Well, I I think the single biggest challenge today is, and, and I'm not going to mince words here, Tom. I, I'm just going to tell it like it is. But I really believe the biggest single problem in healthcare today, which by the way is is a silent problem largely, though it's felt all over. It's not often talked about, and that is affordability. Uh, it really has become. A national crisis. And I'm talking about affordability for healthcare services, for healthcare coverage, and certainly for medications, especially specialty medications. I mean, we're at a point right now where the inability to afford care is causing deferred care. It's causing, it's a significant driver for medication non-adherence, which is a $300 billion a year problem on its own. And it, it really is putting up a lot of barriers to all the good that we want to do in healthcare around improving health with individuals and populations. And, and candidly, Tom, I have found that nobody seems to have a clear answer for it. Uh, it's a major roadblock, affordability is. And, and I want to be clear. I'm 100% for profit and business success in healthcare. I don't want to see the government come in. That's not my idea here. But I mean, we have 100 million Americans, 100 million that have medical debt. And the Kaiser Family Foundation found that about 43% of the population at some point has been holding off on care and treatment and services due to costs. So this is a very real problem. And it's a problem that I think needs to be addressed very, very soon. And uh, until it is, I suspect what's going to happen is it's going to be sort of a silent surging epidemic uh, that I think, frankly, qualifies as a major social determinant of health across a lot of different populations. Uh,
0: Steve, I I couldn't agree with you more. And just to show that uh, we do not rehearse questions and answers here, I literally just responded to a LinkedIn post uh, on uh, this very issue associated with a social determinants of health and what a delivery of care entity, it was the president, I won't mention his name, uh, although he has been on the show before, uh, about how, how his organization could respond to better support the disadvantaged and, uh, and, and access to care and how he could, uh, how he could do a, a better job. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, it's to some degree, it's not about having health insurance, uh, especially for the disadvantaged. You can put them on Medicaid. You can put them on Medicare, uh, whatever uh, the, the class you want to give them. But it's the copay that's the, that's, that's the killer. A uh, hundred million U.S. residents in medical debt, that goes far beyond the copay issue. Uh, but if you want anyone to have access to care – You have to, you have to, in my view, you have to eliminate the copay, not only for the access to the front door of your brick and mortar facility or your virtual care uh, service, but they have to have, you have to eliminate the copay on your, on your, um, uh, on your, on your prescriptions, and you have to give them access to the, to the cure. And and that, that's the diet and exercise and, and things of that nature. So. There is a lot to be said on uh, that particular front. I'm not quite sure what the solution is, but I one one solution that I uh, often suggest is that we need to put our policymakers. And I actually think I said this on your show, the Red Hot uh, Healthcare Podcast, is that you know all of the provi- all the uh, folks in, in in Washington and state legislators should go on a Medicaid program. And not not dig into the pockets to pay for anything, but figure out how they're going to get the care access to care, how they're going to engage the the care plan and how they're going to achieve different outcomes. Because until they experience that, I don't think uh, they truly understand the problem. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I I agree that uh, first of all, let me say that when we talk about costs, we're talking across all socioeconomic uh, populations. We're not talking about uh, socioeconomic disadvantage only. Care coverage, on average, now is over twenty-two thousand dollars a year per family, and that's that's for an individual with employee coverage, which is almost fifty percent higher than when the quote-unquote Affordable Care Act came in two thousand and ten. Um, and you know, this is the twenty-year anniversary of um, of Uwe Reinhardt's famous article. Uh, In 2003, he wrote it uh, when they asked him about how to help the healthcare cost crisis, and and the name of the article is called "Healthcare: It's the Prices Stupid." And you know, two decades later, it's far worse. And I think we have to remember that—that you know, it's simply there's not one solution here, but we have to address that at some level. The pricing may just be out of reach. I know that's not popular to talk about from a business perspective in healthcare. I know it's not, but the simple fact of the matter is, is, is that, you know, we have not only the, uh, the cost going up, uh, Tom, on, on care coverage and insurance, but as you said so well, that's in the midst of greater out-of-pocket push going over to individuals in the form of very large deductibles, large out-of-pocket expenses, and, you know, a lot of this is just causing care to be deferred. I mean, people that literally have chronic disease that are not going in for their doctor's appointments, their tests, getting surgeries, they're not filling prescriptions. Uh, it's it's real. And it's felt across America. It's not just in select lower income populations, which, you know, I think it's important to note.
0: It is important to note, and I appreciate you raising that point, but I I just look at that uh, the lower end of that spectrum, with all due respect, and say that's it's more challenging there. And I'm and I'm really concerned about any care transformation or a regulatory change. And and because you know we all, when we have reform, I always know of two things that are absolutely going to happen. And the and those two absolutes are uh, providers are going to get paid less, and, and consumers are going to pay more and 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 so that's the point right it doesn't get any better uh so it, that leads me into um uh, the next question you know we have these we have new technology now right we we come through the pandemic you know the doctors and the patients love telehealth which is inclusive of remote patient monitoring and uh and chronic care management but there you know some some there's there's a lot of adoption out there but there's it's still s- slow if you will Overall, because it's not a ubiquitous service yet, we haven't reached the tipping point. What do you what do you what do you think the greatest needs are for change? What 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 is the what is the big shift in your eyes and and the, and the greatest need for change?
1: Okay, well, I'm glad you asked me that. Thank you. Um, I th- let's look at this in three key areas, a- and there's more than three, but let's just break it down. At least I'll break it down into the three that I'm most concerned about right now or, or feel like the shifts are going to happen. And the first is staffing. Uh, it clearly remains a tremendous challenge uh, for providers and it impacts quality, safety outcomes. And, and I'm sure you know this already, Tom, as do your audience, but you know the physician burnout rate this year is higher than ever. And this is after the pandemic. It's after the pandemic. The pandemic is no longer the excuse. This is systemic. Uh, Physician burnout, I think 63% of physicians reported signs of burnout at least once a week. Uh, This was really interesting that the uh, National Council of State Boards of Nursing in the last month came out with a study that um, 100,000 nurses left the workforce during the pandemic. And by 2027, Tom, uh, the NCSBN estimates that almost a million, 900,000, Actually, I should say almost 900,000 or almost a fifth of all the registered nurses intend to leave the workforce by 2027. And according to that survey, you know, a quarter of the nurses, you know, cite burnout is a major reason uh, that happened a lot. And so I see AI being tremendously important in making work with the electronic health record more efficient, less stressful. Uh, nuance is, I think, a biggie here. There's other companies in this space, but ultimately um, that's going to be key. And I think uh, with staffing, the other thing is the use of technology and care extenders so that lower level staff can support nurses uh, and there are technologies that can help the medical assistants do things like triage patients or, you know, ensure that they're being treated in the appropriate setting. And they're not going to the ED because they didn't receive the right care in the right place at the right time. Uh, So first is staffing. Second, I certainly would agree with you, an increase in remote monitoring technology, moving care to the home. Um, You know, we need lower cost settings like homes and telehealth and retail locations are coming into play. Uh, It's moving care closer to the patient. And, you know, some of the trends and shifts that I like around uh, remote monitoring technology, you're also getting integration of AI and machine learning. Uh, it helps predict potential health problems before they become serious, which is very important, uh, that accuracy and diagnosis is getting better, uh, and personalization is key. Personalizing treatment plans, uh, you've got wearable devices, uh, I'm a big fan of telehealth services, I think that it needs to stay a strong trend in remote patient monitor, along with remote patient monitoring, predictive analytics, uh, and of course- uh, patient engagement tools are very important as well. Uh, you've got to get patients engaged, especially with chronic uh, disease. You've got to get patients being more proactive here. So the tools are going to be very important when personalizing. And then, you know, I would say that uh, the last would be data interoperability. Uh, the key here is in really tying together all the data around a single longitudinal record uh, to help drive better quality Uh, better care outcomes, better engagement, and and frankly, better levels of personalized communication and care contextualization. It's going to be very, very important here. And I want to give a shout out, Tom, to my former company, Innovacer. They created an excellent free report with uh, Frost and Sullivan on their website. Uh, I was part of this, actually. I was part of creating this report with the team on digital maturity and data readiness in U.S. hospitals and health systems. In other words, how ready are they to pull together all the siloed data, Tom, and, and drive out those data insights um, for for better care and uh, and and that sort of thing? Some of the results were shocking. Uh, so I would invite folks to go to Innovator and, and download that Digital Trends report. But those are the top three. I I would say uh, you know staffing. Uh, and second would be remote monitoring and moving care to the home, and then third would be the the growth. And effectiveness of uh, data interoperability or data readiness.
0: Yeah, I yeah I would agree. My audience has heard me say a thousand times: uh, we have a larger, growing sicker population, less doctors and nurses, and uh, and the hospitals and the emergency rooms are just getting over overflowing with with need, uh, and it just becomes uh, an untenable uh, situation. But you raised the second point of engagement, patient engagement, and I am a true believer that if we can focus uh, much more on the engagement side and the intervention side, and this is where I believe remote patient monitoring, chronic care management come into play, the, the more intervention that we have, we can solidify, hey, you know your blood pressure is really high today. Did you just eat a pound of bacon and, and consume all that salt? Uh, or are you not taking your meds or, you know, there's reasons, uh, there's things that we can do early on to, uh, get that patient back on track to mitigate that emergency room visit, taking pressure off of limited resources. That does, that's a reduction of, uh, hospital admissions a, as well. And I, I just think that the, the intervention side, the patient engagement side, is really a part of the overall solution. So the more that we can get patients engaged and know that they have access outside of the uh, outside of the limited uh, every six month visit to their doctor, or even I'll even give them the benefit of the doubt every three month visit to their doctor. That's really, uh, in my view, the secret sauce to uh, transforming the delivery care is patient yeah. engagement.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing is, you have to, and the thing is, I, all of that, so true. The other part of this that I would add in, which I'm, I'm sure that I think is very important, is the ability to drive value in their mind. We know it's valuable. Healthcare providers and healthcare companies know the value of an integrated experience and making sure there's no care gaps. But how do you make it really engaging? And how do you make it valuable in the patient's mind or the health yeah. consumer's mind? And that's not always easy. Uh, you know, one of the things we're seeing is uh, integration of, of greater uh, consumer engagement and customer experience in some of the more progressive health systems now. They're, they're even looking outside of healthcare for this because you can, you can throw the stats all day long, but it has to be important to both sides uh, to, to get action to happen.
0: I agree, and I and I'm really encouraged uh, by your third point, uh, data interoperability. I know what uh, Intervacer does; very familiar with them. They do some great work, but w- we also have a developing effort uh, with the QHins and and, and things of that nature. And I think that's going to add. Uh, it's not going to be the solution to the problem, but I think it's going to it's going to add to the probability of getting better at understanding. Who that patient is across the disparate delivery of care units, uh, primary care, acute care, and and uh, and, and alike. So I'm, I'm, i I think that that's all uh, great stuff. You know, one of the areas that has been uh, a mixed bag has been what folks refer to as the metaverse. What are your thoughts on it uh, in context of healthcare?
1: Ah, uh, I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, you know the metaverse has really been a mixed bag, uh, as you said, Tom, and and I think part of the reason is the way it was initially delivered. Uh, not even in just in healthcare, but just to the just to the consumer as a whole. You know, everybody when when Facebook changed into the word Meta, I think the thinking was, oh, we're all going to be you know virtually sitting on top of the Eiffel Tower having lunch and chatting, and of course when Meta created their great big rooms and get-togethers. Uh, with their monster you know, billions of users it, it sort of all fell flat there wasn't many people that engaged and uh i don't think you first of all i think it's incredibly powerful uh, because i'm a big fan of driving experience and i think that certainly as we go more digital it's going to be important to keep people's attention to get them engaged uh, to create virtual environments that make them feel comfortable. I think that's all very important, but it has to be delivered slowly and with real strategy and thought. For instance, I think one of the biggest friction points in the metaverse is this idea that you have to wear headsets. Yes, if you wear headsets, you're going to get a 3D engagement. It's going to be wonderful. You can put things on your hands and reach out. But you know what? You can start by delivering a virtual experience, especially in value-based care and and in marginalized communities and, and that sort of thing. You can, you can create that in 2d, you can create that. So it looks like a first person video game. That could be a stepping stone because what you're looking to do here is you're looking to create improved experience and engagement. And I think there is a huge opportunity, not in creating rooms you walk into with a headset. That's part of it. And part of training surgeons. I know those things exist. But I like sliver experiences. I call them sliver experiences. I like where you can go into interaction points, Tom. Let's say, let's say I were going to, and I'm not going to favor any companies. Let's just say I was going to Ascension and I went on their website and I wanted to schedule an appointment. Um, could I do that by clicking on the website and being taken into a virtual environment to schedule the appointment? Maybe ask a few questions. Could I, could I be talking with a chat bot? And maybe the chat bot says, hey, I'd love to connect you with our virtual so-and-so to discuss your finances and insurance. Can you click the button now? Well, we'll make that happen. Boom. And you go in. 2D, not 3D, 2D, right there on your website on your flat screen. Um, What if you're on a health plan? You want to go ahead and find a doc, Tom. And instead of just looking at your text list and scrolling down, what if you had headshot avatars that when you click them, They'd have the voice of the provider with engaging words, engaging tone, or, or what if, you know, I don't want to go on and on, but even revenue cycle, what if you want to bridge financial experience into patient experience, and you want to create some memorable moments, maybe doing that in a whole different way than a phone call or a a letter saying, pay your bill, you can have a portal for financial experiences. So You see where I'm going with this is, is that you don't have to create a great big room with millions of people wearing headsets. You can start with designing custom sliver experiences. That's the first dip of the, of the toe in the lake. And you can do that right through the digital environment that, that many provider organizations and payers already use. So we have
0: a, we have a minute left. And uh, so, so talk very uh, briefly about uh, consumerism in healthcare how does the consumer start to drive transformation versus their coming from their healthcare provider or payer?
1: I know we have limited time. I, I actually have a client right now who is in the, uh, in the retail space, they work with Subaru and they've, they've done some amazing work on customer experience and, and, and they're getting into healthcare too, uh, just in case anybody is interested. Uh, but I will tell you that, um, the American Hospital Association came out this year with a remarkable uh, flash report that said that, you know, the retailers that are coming into healthcare care uh, could be actually taking over up to two hundred and sixty billion dollars of market share in primary care by 2030. Uh, Tom, this is real. It's real because what's happened is um, a lot of the cost issues and a lot of the fragmentation has created low-hanging fruit, especially in primary care. And as a result, stop.
0: I need to stop you there. I, I, I don't want to have the last word here. But uh, at the end of the day, those uh, the, they're doing little in the retail space to really d- drive value-based care, drive outcomes. They are very focused. You know, my Minute Clinic is very focused on the encounter mm-hmm. uh, with a nurse practitioner. Come in, come out but it has no longitudinal view. I've never had a minute clinic follow up with me to see how I was after, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, so they're skimming off the top, but are they really part of the solution?
1: Thoughts? I I think, I think they're part of the solution. And I think that although you're actually spot on, they're not part of the clinical record for sure. And they're snipping off a lot of low hanging fruit. I think eventually you are going to see that pull together. It's not going to happen this year, but I believe it's eventually going to happen because they're not going away. And I think that primary care providers, I'm sorry, uh, I think provider organizations recognize that, that they're going to have to collaborate to some degree. And I think we will see that pulled together in the future. Awesome.
0: Steve, we're going to have to leave it there. I thank you very much for, uh, for being a guest on our program and certainly would like to have you uh, come back uh, real soon. Thanks, Tom. That's today's shift. I appreciate the audience taking the time to tune in. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune back in at the healthcarenowradio.com at the same time, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the week. And be sure to check out the program page at virtualshift.co. As well, remember to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at FoleyTom, and follow the show's hashtag, The Virtual Shift. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next shift.